from San Diego, California, it's the Frug Life Podcast with your host, Ricky Hershey. Welcome to the Frug Life. As you probably know, I haven't created a new episode for last week or the week prior. I think the topic I'm sharing is very important and very helpful. But you know, I think there's a more important discussion we need to have right now. And I wasn't really ready to start, but today I'm ready to engage with it. So today we are going to talk about systemic poverty. Poverty can be cyclical in nature. It can be hard to escape from. It's a little scary to think. Your personal financial well-being might be mostly determined by the circumstances of your birth. In a Washington Post opinion piece that I'll link in the show notes, it says that together, single-parent families and their children total almost 14 million people, which is roughly a third of all people in poverty. So just one factor, are you born into a family with two parents, has a huge correlation with poverty. So the circumstances of your birth, whether your parents stay together, the country you were born in, are all factors in determining the financial conditions you are born into. And those conditions you are born into play a role in your future. And from a PBS article, which I'll link below, children who grow up poor are more likely to be poor as adults. Studies show that children who grow up poor have a harder time escaping poverty as adults. For example, in one 2009 study by the National Center for Children in Poverty at Columbia University, researchers found that children who grew up poor were not only more likely to experience poverty as adults, but that the likelihood of being poor in adulthood went up with the number of years spent in poverty as a child. According to the study, about 5% of adults who never experienced poverty as children were poor at ages 20 and 25. If they were poor anywhere between 1 and 7 years as a kid, that number went up to approximately 13%. For those who spent 8 to 14 years in poverty as children, 46% were poor at age 20, and 40% were poor at age 25. Poverty is a cycle, one that can be hard to break out of, and one that affects different races differently. The same article reads, The problem is particularly acute for children of color. While white children experience poverty at a rate of 11%, around 27% of Hispanic children, or 31% of black children, and 34% of Native American children in America today are growing up poor. It's a little scary to think. The color of your skin has such a correlation with poverty. Sure, we understand that in olden times, this was the case, in the times of Jim Crow laws or slavery. But even today, in 2020, there is a great racial divide when it comes to finances. Sometimes people will get examples of famous and successful people who have overcome difficult circumstances and put them on a bit of a pedestal. This famous actor grew up poor and they worked hard and they escaped poverty. If they can do it, you can do it. And if you can't do it, you aren't working hard enough. And you know, I think this analogy is flawed in a way. If you talk to the victors, the people that overcame struggles, that became superstars, celebrities, successful business owners. In many ways, you may be talking to a minority. 
both a racial minority, but also someone that is in the minority, that most people in similar circumstances to them don't achieve the same results. You should also look at people who aren't successful, the people that, despite working hard, remain in poverty. Part of the issue is that it's expensive to be poor. If you don't have cash and your rent is due and you don't get paid until next week, you might have to take out a payday loan. Also, you don't get evicted from your home. You pay crazy interest on this loan. And of course, if you don't make a ton of money, that interest is huge. And so next time when it comes time to pay your rent again, you now have to pay interest on that loan and you still just aren't making enough money to get by. And it's a vicious cycle. I also read a story recently about a woman who got a traffic violation of some sort and didn't have enough money to pay the ticket. And so her license was suspended. But since her license is now suspended, she doesn't have a way to go to her job to get the money to pay the ticket. So for someone with even modest means, they can just pay the ticket and continue working and there's no issue. They just lose a little bit of money. But to someone without any savings, this is catastrophic. They may lose their job. They may have to break the law and drive illegally to continue working and risk getting caught and owing even more money, potentially even going to jail. If you're poor, you might not be able to make investments in things that will save you money or save you time. You may just have to deal with the absolute cheapest option, which can often cost more in the long run. Sometimes, well-intentioned personal finance educators are criticized when it comes to personal finance tips for those in poverty. Some tips might be buy less Starbucks, eat less fast food. But if you are working multiple low-wage jobs, struggling just to get by, you might not have time for any other eating than fast food. You might lack the time to brew your own coffee in the morning. Those things might be your only pleasures in a hard day's work. In some ways, I don't think these tips are helpful in fighting the systemic issues in our society. So let's talk about that now. For many Americans, the way they build net worth is through college and home ownership. And my source for this segment will be in the show notes. Most people, I would say, are bad at saving money. But purchasing a home is a way that kind of forces you to save. So when you buy a home, you have to make a home payment. And some of your payment will go to interest, but the other part of your payment builds equity in your home. So basically, your net worth can increase via home ownership. If you would have just spent all of your income, in either case, by being a homeowner, you actually spend your money in a way that builds your net worth. As you continue to make payments, you own a larger and larger percent of your home until you own it outright. While I don't think this is the best way to build your net worth, it is one of the most common. A problem with systemic issues is it's hard to pinpoint a cause. If an entire system isn't working, by its very nature, it's not a single broken cog in a wheel. Consider this example. In a poor ethnic community, a family wants to purchase a home. They go to the bank. The bank denies the loan as the home is in a troubled area and will not appreciate in value. As financing can't be secured, the home, like others in the area, doesn't sell and the home values decrease. This cycle continues. The bank 
may be making a total rational decision, one that's entirely based on economics. But we can see that this decision impacts people of one race. Without homeownership, this hypothetical family is unable to build wealth in the same way most Americans do. And the cycle continues. So what should be done about this issue? There's a lot of different thoughts, and I just want to share one personal example. When I was studying accounting at my local community college, someone came into the class and announced an opportunity for racial minorities to come to this program and be flown out to this city and have this cool presentation and to just go on this cool trip. And at the time, I was kind of angry about that because I had the best grade in the class by far. I had more than 100% in the class. And I thought, why shouldn't the best student have the opportunity to go on the cool trip? Why should color of skin matter? The trip should go to the person who's most deserving, who was me, I guess, at least in my mind. Later, I joined the speech and debate team. And part of being good at debate is being able to argue any topic from any side. And so that meant I needed to be prepared to argue for affirmative action. And so I spoke to my professor about this, and I got some insight. And part of it is I realized how privileged I was before. I noted that many scholarships are geared towards minorities and not focused purely on academics. My professor pointed out a few things to me, and one is that black men are actually one of the most underrepresented groups of people in university, and that I actually had a lot more privilege than I realized, that I actually didn't need a scholarship from an external source because my grandparents helped pay for my college. And because my grandparents had some money, it opened doors to me. It opened doors to me that I wouldn't have had had that generational wealth not existed. And so in some ways, that's just what affirmative action is, right? That I have certain privileges and it's trying to level the playing field in a way. Now, is that good? Is that bad? That is a whole topic for debate. I also have been reading or listening to, I should say, Malcolm Gladwell's David and Goliath, and it has some interesting opinions on this as well, and that the things that we think may be best for us actually aren't, like getting into a prestigious competitive school may not be the best thing for you. Getting into a competitive school may actually be detrimental to you. And so these actions we take to help minorities get into better schools, thinking it will help them, may actually not help them. We may be hurting people. So there's a lot of nuance to this issue. I don't want to propose a solution to all these problems. And tips can also seem like they're coming from the wrong place. There's a woman in a video about poverty who says, I pulled myself up from my bootstraps so many times they broke. But at the same time, to not give any advice, to just give up, doesn't seem like the right choice either. I can't solve this problem, but if I can make the situation a little bit better, for even one individual, I would. And I think just spreading awareness of the issues is helpful too. But let me give one tip. Homeownership may not be the best way 
to build wealth. Robert Kurosaki, author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, considers a home to be a liability, not an asset. And in a sense, he has a point. Your home typically will not make you money. You pay to repair it. You pay taxes on it. If you don't pay your taxes, you'll lose it. It has future cash obligations, and it potentially doesn't have that much cash inflow until you sell it. And if you're living there, you can't really sell it because you need a place to live. Instead, I think you should invest in other assets, like the stock market. Buying stock requires no human interaction. You don't need to interact with a bank. You can just interact with an online brokerage platform. Of course, that's not the solution to the problem. Just one tip by me. I hope this episode was enlightening to you. We certainly live in an interesting time right now, and I'll probably continue to cover topics like this in the future. Thanks for listening, and stay frugal. Thank you.